All right. If you have a Bible, meet me in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If you were to ask me, as you're turning there, what your most important next step as a follower of Jesus in this cultural moment would be, I would simply read to you 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Listen to what it says. It says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. If you have children, can I get an amen in the church today? Can I get an amen in the chat online? Because we get that childish thinking. But listen to what it says. It says, Stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be infants. Think about that. Be infants in regard to evil. But in your thinking, be adults. A different version says it this way. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Be mature. Let me say it to you this way. In this moment, you don't need my opinions. In this moment, you don't need my thoughts. <laughs> you have the literal words of truth. In this moment, when so many things around us in culture are shifting... And changing, it's, it's weekly, daily, that the things that you're fed in the world are changing. Always. Data shifts constantly. Truth is kind of everywhere. <laughs> Opinions are everywhere. And yet, there is one thing that never changes. God and his word. You have the words of truth. In the context of 1 Corinthians 14, the Corinthian church was enamored with a whole lot of things. They were searching for a lot of things, some of them even good things. But they were Missing the point of what the greatest of things were. We're in a series called Ordered Love. Ordered Love. Rightly Ordered Love. We'll get to that in a second. But we need mature thinking as followers of Jesus in this world. I was reading something this week and somebody made the observation that for those of us that have kids in this moment, how, how difficult it would be to raise kids in this generation, facing these times and these problems. And the more I thought about that, the more I actually disagree. And I have three kids, 10, 8, and 4. And if I let my brain go there, it freaks me out a lot. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh. But then when I think about 
the things that I know are true. I think about Esther. For such a time as this. And I think about the church. I think about Redeemer City Church. In this city. In this moment. For this time. And for these people. That God in his providence. Dropped you in this place in Tampa Heights. For this moment. What a time to be alive. You see, a small shift in your thinking, in your perspective, changes everything. If, if you're led by fear in that question, the result is a lot different. But if you're led by the Spirit into the opportunity that God's put in front of us, that is totally different. That's exciting. We've, we've been in 1 Corinthians 13 and we've been walking through what that looks like. And last week we talked about the supernatural love that sounds like this. This won't be on the screen, but I want you to hear it again. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There is a perfection that comes with mature love. It's interesting then, as you think about our inability to do that apart from Christ and our ability to do that when we're led by the Spirit, and we talked about that last week, it is interesting to me what comes right after that. That you go from the beauty and the grandeur of that love statement that is probably read at every wedding since it was written. Because it's just that beautiful. Remember last week I said there's two things that hit me when I read that. One, that's beautiful and I want that. And then the second thing is, is that's impossible. <laughs> Anybody married in the house today? Anybody have a friend? Anybody have a parent? I mean, there's an impossibility to that unless something supernatural gets involved. And that's Jesus, of course. But I want you to look at what comes next in verse 8. Here's the next statement. Love never ends. Just sit with that for a minute. Love never ends. Why is that important? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And then look at this. This is what kind of floors me in this chapter because we just read those amazing things. And then listen to what it says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or an adult, 
I gave up childish ways. Cross that to 1420, right? In your thinking, be adults. In your thinking, be mature. Back to verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then this famous verse that ends the chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, if you're going to boil it down to three, it would be these. But, what an incredible statement, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Mature Christians mature in love and give up childish ways. As we think, some have said, we become. As we dwell on something, it shapes us. That's why we say around here, vision up first. We love God first. Because scripture says if you seek first the kingdom, then everything else will be added to you. Our culture would say it this way, follow your heart. What terrible advice. <laughs> terrible advice. Right? What's, what's the scripture say? Your heart's deceitfully wicked above how many other things? All things. M- Mitch, you put your name there, following his heart will go astray. He will. Ten out of ten times. (laughs) I think about it this way, right? Like, I have a four-year-old daughter, and she's so into the Disney princess movies, right? And it's it's my absolute favorite. And my wife, Camden, posted this on her Insta story once, so you might have seen this. But there was a moment where she climbed up on top of our center island in our house and was standing on top of it with a fake microphone. And the Moana song is playing and she gets up there and she stands there and she's screaming at the top of her lungs. And it gets to the part and she's like, I am Moana. And it's so cute, but it's what? Childish thinking. And we love that when it's Baylor. But can you imagine if Pastor Mitch got up here? Climbed up on the stool. I'm not going to do it because it will collapse. Some of you got nervous right there. Come on now. Give your pastor a little credit. I hit my head first, so we won't do that. But right, like we're chuckling because that wouldn't make sense, right? We, we understand what childish thinking is and we love it when it's the four-year-old girl. But this culture would say to you, And affirm in you what we affirm in Baylor at four, but we would never affirm in you as an adult. There is scriptures holding up when it comes to love. There is a clear difference between mature love, adult thinking, and childish thinking. It was St. Augustine commenting on a passage in Genesis 6. 
In Genesis 6, it talked about the sons of God saw the daughters of humans and that they were beautiful. And he was commentating on that passage, and, and here's what he wrote, and it'll be on the screen for you to follow along with this quote. Here's what his commentary on, on that love was. And thus, beauty, which is indeed God's handiwork. Humanity is beautiful. Love is beautiful. But only a temporal, carnal, and lower kind of good. Stick with me. The sons of God seeing the daughters of humans is good because they are God's creation. However, if it is not fitly loved in preference to God, or if it is the eternal, spiritual, and unchangeable good, when the miser or the man prefers his gold to justice, it is no fault of the gold, but of the man. And so with every created thing, for though it may be good, listen to this, with every created thing, though the created thing may be good, it may be loved with an evil as well as a good love. And then here it is. It is loved rightly when it is loved ordinately. In other words, that good love that we experience here is only right when it is put in submission to and is ordered under our love for Christ. Rightly ordered love. And that's the linchpin of what we are talking about in the series, because as this passage says, we right now see things dimly. We see things in a fog. We Already, but not yet, we have Christ, but we know that we are missing something. We look forward to his return because there are things, and I know every one of you could look at this life and say there are things in this life that are broken. There are things that are happening right now in your life that you say this should not be. This is not right. And God would say, true, I'm making all things new. I'm coming again. God's ways are higher than our ways. The Bible says past finding out. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't, I don't like that. I like to know. I like to control. And yet there's this beauty of relationship and rightly ordered love when we come to the throne room of God and like those elders who are in his presence at all times we bow in surrender to him think about what Paul's saying here prophecy tongues knowledge even all of those things held with great value in that Corinthian culture and held in great value in our culture Knowledge, those things will end. Kings and kingdoms have an expiration date as well as this one, by the way. There's no way you would have looked at somebody in first century Rome and told them nobody would even care about you guys in a thousand years. They would have laughed at you. 
They were going to look around. Look around, man. We, we run the world. Not anymore. Listen, in a thousand years, if God hasn't set up his kingdom on earth, nobody will care what is happening in our cultural moment. Isn't that liberating? Because there's an expiration date on the kingdoms of this world. It's so interesting to me that this passage on love is connected to childish ways. Think about it. Love never ends. All those other pursuits that you and I have, and I could name you five right now that I'm pursuing in my personal life that are going to end. But there's one thing, there's one thing that will outlast them all. There's one thing that will never end. What does stepping away from childish things toward God look like in his ways? What does that look like? It looks like, according to God, love, but rightly ordered love. So powerful. Love never ends. I think back to just a few verses ago. Jerome preached this a few weeks ago. In verse 3. Think about this. Think about these virtues that we talk about. This won't be on the screen, but listen to it. It says, if I give away all that I have. If I give away all that I have. If I deliver up my body to be burned. And they were doing that, by the way. They would have had Stephen and Acts on their mind. Paul, writing this, was holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen to death. He had been a part of that. And he says, even if you were delivering yourself up to be burned at the stake for God. Listen to this statement. But have not love, I gain how much? Nothing. Think about the the broad sweeping statement that is. If I do anything but without love, I have nothing. And then you come to 8 through 12 and the permanence of love. When everything else goes away, it's love. Other translations will say this. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never dies. It literally, in the original language, means that it never collapses. It never decays. It never falls to the ground like a rose petal, right? We, we know this too. How many of you have ever done this? He loves me. Some of you hopeless romantics are, oh, you're giggling. Tabitha's giggling in the front. He loves me not. Right? And you, you just... You go and we, we do the, and we laugh, but how many of us have gone through those emotions? Wondering if the one we love loves us back. We get it. Can I challenge you for a minute and just encourage you at the same time as we think about that in this world? Some of you, if you're like me, have moments in this world where you're, you're just frustrated. You're just frustrated with what life looks like. 
You're just frustrated with where you're at or where you're headed or things just aren't as they're supposed to be. Can I encourage you around this idea of mature love and childish thinking? I think for many of us, and if this is you, you know, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything, but I want you to think about it. It, it. Could it be that the reason is that you're living in such a way that you want both worlds? I want the things that this world has to offer me, and I want the things that the kingdom of God has to offer me. I, I want both of those things. And in this life for a long time, we've been able to do that. We've been able to fake it till we make it. We've been able to fake it and act like we can have both of those things. And I'm as guilty as anybody. But I want you to think about what Jesus said in John chapter 15. It'll be on the screen for you in verse 18 and 19. And just think about the power of this statement when it comes to living in this world. Here's what he said. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You'd be accepted by the world if you were of the world. But because you are not of the world, think about that, because you're not of the world, but I chose you, what does it say, out of the world, God handpicked you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Here's why I say that this can actually be an encouragement if you've been straddling that fence, wanting both. Here, here's the reality of what you need to know. Satan would love it if you would attempt to grab both. That you would be blinded by the fact that you can have your world and his, your kingdom and his, and be so close between the two that you really aren't in his. Even in the business world, I think of Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, that the, greatest, the biggest enemy of great is what? Good. Not bad. Not terrible. Not horrific. Good. Oh, things are, things are pretty good. And they never get to great. And in your spiritual life, if you're holding onto both of those kingdoms, it will never be all that God has for you. Because what does Jesus promise us? That those of us who lay down our life, who lose our life, will find our life. We can't be confused that Satan and the God of this world hate you. They hate you. And your ruin is their goal. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not the political people. It's not the news. It's not all the other things. It's a true kingdom of darkness. And Satan hates you. Your struggle is his joy. True love never ends. True love never ends. It's not fickled. 
it delivers on its promises. Sin does not. And God's telling us that leaving our childish thinking and seeking God's kingdom, that the greatest piece of that is love. Why can he say that? Why can he say that? Because God is love. Right? What did John tell us? John, Jesus' best friend on earth, said, Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friend. And Jesus has called you friend. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. That word love carries with it the weight of eternity. The power of the eternal God loves you. And listen, there, there's difficulties to that, right? You know, the Bible says by this, men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. But even when we love rightly, it's not always returned, right? Mature love understands that love doesn't always work or love doesn't always win Think about it. Jesus came to that rich young ruler and he said, and, and the Bible says this about him, uh, that Jesus seeing him loved him. Think about that. We always get, get to the part where he, where he fails the test. But right before that, the Bible says that Jesus saw him and loved him. And then he extends that invitation to go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And what does the Bible say? That that rich man walked away disappointed. Disappointed. He loved Jesus, but it was out of order. It was out of order. Love didn't work with Judas either. Judas was on staff. Like he was on staff with Jesus. Like Jesus hired Judas to be the treasurer of all things. And then Judas betrayed Jesus with as ugly an action as the representation of love in this world. A kiss. Betrayed him with a kiss. Don't be surprised if love doesn't get rid of the opposition in your life. In basic Christian ethics... Paul Ramsey observes this, and I think this is why love doesn't always win in this life as we think normally. Because here's what Paul says, Paul Ramsey says in his book. He says, I love you in this culture usually means I love me and I want you. Think about it. We often, if we're honest, can you be honest today, at least in your own heart? That so many times when we say we love something, it's really that we love ourselves and we want what's in front of us. What is rightly ordered love? What is mature love? What is Christian love? What is love that is surrendered and underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ look like? Consider yourselves, consider others better than yourselves, Right? True Christian love is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's the thing we talked about last week. But let's not be fickled and be confused into recognizing that it is otherworldly. The kingdom of God is not compatible with the kingdom of this world. 
And I'm not talking about what you wear and who you follow on Instagram. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when push comes to shove and you make the choices that you make and how you live your life in submission to Jesus as Lord. That is where things change. Your love changes. God is simply saying that love is a reality that lasts forever. Not that it always wins but rather that it will never disappear in contrast to all the things around you in this life right now that are going to disappear. It will always be because God is love. He never ends. He never fails. It's a permanence to that. We're going to take communion here in just a second, but I want to give you like what... I've been on this kick with you about what is what does all that mean like tomorrow, right? Like I agree with you. <laughs> how do I do that? How, how do I live that out at UT? How do I live that out in my new apartment? How do I live that out at home with my kids? What does that look like when I go to work with my mask on? What does that look like? I want to give you four things, four ways you can love now. So if you're taking notes, put it, write it down that way. Four ways to love now, okay? Number one, make a list of names of people and pray for them. Don't just say it. Pray for them. There are people all around you, right? We've been hammering this idea of community, this idea of loving people, and that it's the thing that makes us who we are. And we have the God of the universe who tells us in his word that if we will pray, if we will ask, seek, knock, he will open that door and he will come in and eat with us. You have not because you ask not, he says. We talk it, but do we do it? Do we pray? Make a list of names and pray for people. Think of yourself as a prayer ninja. You don't need to tell them. You don't need to tell them. Put, write their name down and pray for that person. And when things begin to go well for them, you will know that you played a part in that. What an amazing thing. Number two, join a city group. Shameless plug. And it is shameless. It is shameless. Because here's the reality. Getting in a city group is not just about you growing in knowledge. I think we've made that mistake in the past as, as church goers, as people of God, is that we go to city group to grow in our knowledge. No, we don't grow to city group to grow in our knowledge. We go to city group to love people unselfishly, seek their good, and to, sh- and to share in each other's burdens, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. You'll grow, but in sacrificial love, in loving and caring for people. Number three, forgive someone. This is going to be really difficult for some of you, for me. Forgive someone. I'm not saying spend time with them. I'm not saying things go back to the way they were. But I am saying that you releasing what it's doing to you will change your life. Rightly ordered love recognizes that to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is forgiven, We need to forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. Release it. 
what's the scripture last week say? Love keeps no record of wrong. Wait a minute. You don't know what they did. You're right. I don't. But God does. But God does. And finally, number four, find a vision out opportunity. Figure out where can I serve my city? Where can I, as Jesus called his disciples, look up and see the fields that are ripe for harvest? Who ought to be sitting right here with you? Or who, if you're watching online, needs a link next week to hear a different thing than the world is offering them? Who ought to be sitting right by you? And I'm talking to myself. Who ought to be in this body with you getting an otherworldly answer to the things that they're facing? We're doing a lab initiative partnership for human trafficking right here in our city. We want to raise $7,000 for that. How does that happen? Us. Us. Find some way to lay down your life for the good of others. Great place to start for every one of us is with our money. It's just true. Isn't it? We just agree on that. But there's so many ways to serve your city. But let's be real. None of that is possible without Jesus. Because you and I, we, we start doing that and it, it fizzles out. It has to be supernatural. And we talk about this every week. What just a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 10. What is talked about when we come to the communion table. I love this language here. It says in verse 14, flee idolatry. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless. Listen to this. This is so important. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There are places and spaces in the kingdom of God that Jesus is willing and open to participating with you. 